my friends, and welcome again to the Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how each page points us to Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you for joining me, friends. We are looking at the book of Jeremiah, and before we say goodbye to this amazing book, we're going to examine uh, some lessons, some takeaways that we can get from the book of Jeremiah. Uh, and before we jump in uh, to these lessons, let me just give you a couple of words, three to be precise. One would be purpose. Uh, we are given God's word in part for the very purpose of transforming us from sinners saved by grace more and more through the process of sanctification into the image of Jesus. And that comes from hearing God's word and responding in obedience, whether that's stopping something or starting something. So don't miss the purpose of scripture. Second, remember pace. Real change, change that matters, is almost always going to happen slowly. Not over weeks or months, but over years, sometimes decades, real change happens slowly. And third, remember progress. That's what we're after. We're not after perfection. We're after progress. So don't ask, what can I do to become perfect? Trust in Jesus and get his perfect righteousness. But ask, what can I do to make progress? Take the next step of obedience. So with that, let's jump in and take a look at some lessons, some principles we can take from the book of Jeremiah. First, God empowers us to press through the challenges of life and ministry to which he has called us. Jeremiah 1, 4 through 8. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, Jeremiah. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a youth. For to all whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And this is basically exactly what God said to Moses whenever he said, Oh yeah, go tell the most powerful man on earth to let my people go. And Moses said, uh, I'm not a good speaker. I can't do this. I can't do that. And God said, uh, didn't I make your mouth? Didn't I make your tongue? I'm with you. Don't worry about it. God will give us what we need to do what he has called us to do. Not to do what he's called our neighbor to do or anybody else, but what we have been called to do, we will be empowered to do. Second, God preserves the life of his people until they have fulfilled his earthly purposes for them. Jeremiah 1, 17 through 19, God says, but you dress yourself for work, arise and say to them everything that I command you. Don't be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, Jeremiah. You'll be an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So until, to steal words from John Piper, until you've done the work of God in this generation, you are immortal. It doesn't matter where God sends you. It doesn't matter what he calls you to do. It doesn't matter what enemies you have against you. Until you have done what God called you to do, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That doesn't mean they can't hurt you. It doesn't mean they can't put you in jail and beat you. But it means you will live until you've done your work. And when your enemy does to you the very worst thing they think they can do to you, kill you, all they're doing is setting you free to go be with Jesus forever. So be faithful to God. He will always be faithful to us. Third, believers should diligently seek to remain faithful to the Lord and not turn away from him. Jeremiah 2, 1 through 4, the word of the Lord came to me saying, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth. Your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in the land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. 
Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. In other words, what happened? You used to love me. You were faithful to me, but your heart drifted away from me. And there is this strange paradox in Scripture. It's not truly a paradox. It can just seem that way. That we are told that in John 10, for example, that no one can snatch us away from the hand of the Lord. And two, we have to strive for holiness without which no one can see the Lord. And we often want to ask, which one is it? Is it, you know, I'm safe eternally because God is going to hold on to me or because I strive for faithfulness? And the answer, of course, is yes. I mean, our ultimate hope, our ultimate security comes from the faithful, sovereign hand of God. But we are told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to strive for holiness. And so we must every day strive to be faithful, to not take faithfulness to God for granted, to not just think, well, I was faithful yesterday, I'll be faithful today. No, we must strive for faithfulness in the confidence that God will provide everything we need so that our striving is not in vain. Fourth, forsaking the Lord is a grave sin that has severe consequences. Choices in this life to which God we will serve have eternal consequences. It says in Jeremiah 2, 12 through 13, God sort of calling creation to witness. He says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And they are thirsty and famished because of this choice. And unless they turn from their sin, they will be eternally thirsty, eternally starving. Fifth, false prophets speak enticing but deceitful words for personal gain. And we must reject them and warn others. Jeremiah 5, 30-31, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule at their own direction. My people love to have it so. So we have false prophets speaking words they know to be false. And the people also know that they're speaking false words, but that's what they want to hear. They don't want to hear the truth because the truth would require humility and repentance. It would require throwing away their idols and striving for holiness. And they don't want that. So it's not like, oh, these poor people being oppressed by these false prophets. It's These are the prophets they want. They want this. And at the same time, the prophets are guilty of great sin for leading the people of God astray. Sixth, believers will experience persecution for doing what is pleasing to God. Jeremiah 11, and often throughout Jeremiah, we see him being plotted against, schemed against, not just by people, you know, powerful people, but by his own family and friends, the people he grew up with. They hate the God Jeremiah speaks for. They hate the message that Jeremiah has, and so they seek to persecute Jeremiah. Now, we know that as Christians, sometimes we suffer because we're jerks. But we also know there is a a promise in Scripture that if we're faithful to Jesus, we will be persecuted. And so being unpopular in the world is not a 100% accurate guarantee that we're being faithful to Jesus. It might be that we're a jerk, but we do have a category in Scripture for Oh, well, if I act just like Jesus, they'll do to me what they did to Jesus. Crucify him. And we will be persecuted for being faithful. Be prepared, but also be confident because God will not let us be overwhelmed by the persecution. Seventh, delighting in God's word is a characteristic of God's people. 
Jeremiah 15, speaking of himself, he says, Your words were found and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I'm called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. When I'm not recording podcast episodes, uh, I teach middle school Bible at a school here in Birmingham. And I was speaking to uh, some parents of a seventh grade student. And as part of my students' nightly homework, four nights a week, they have to read four chapters of the Bible. And as seventh graders, they just start in Genesis 1 and we read four chapters a night all the way through seventh and eighth grade. And I was speaking with some parents of a seventh grade student, and they told me their students just like sitting in their bed reading their Bible, and they they want to read the Bible. And the parents were almost like astonished that this kid wanted to read Genesis. And I said, they've got the Holy Spirit. And there are going to be times when this seventh grade student, just like there's times for you and me when, when they don't want to read the Bible. But one of the characteristics of the people of God is that we want to hear the Word of God. We want to hear it preached. We want to hear it read. We want to read it. And I would just say, eat up. You've been invited to a feast, and I pray that God's words would be to you and to me a joy and a delight. Eighth, our sinful nature makes us unable to see our sin and depravity clearly. One day I'll write a book about bad advice, and chapter one will be titled, Follow Your Heart. Uh, And I think actually Kevin DeYoung just put out a book entitled, Don't Follow Your Heart. Uh, It's some of the worst advice you can give someone, because here's what our heart is like, according to Jeremiah 17 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And the only the only answer is the Lord. The very next verse is, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. But so we don't know how bad we truly are. Only God knows the depth of our sin. But what's amazing is that God loved us anyway. He loved us knowing better than we do just how sinful we are. And it's only by God's grace that salvation happens. It's through God's Holy Spirit that we have our eyes open to see our sin and we can respond in faith and repentance. And we will never understand our hearts the way God does, but we can walk in holiness and righteousness through the new hearts that God gives us and long for the day when Jesus comes back and the sinful natures will be taken away from us forever. And we will no longer sin and we will actually not even be able to sin when he comes back. So come quickly, Lord Jesus. In the meantime, number nine, the Holy Spirit enables us to walk in obedience before God. Jeremiah 31, 33, God says he'll put his law within the hearts of the members of the new covenant. In Jeremiah 32, 40, God says, I'll make an everlasting covenant and God will put the fear of him in their hearts, in the hearts of the people of the new covenant. They may not turn away from me. And then Romans 8, 4, Paul says, Jesus died for us. Yes, for the forgiveness of sins. Yes, for we be adopted. Yes, justified. Yes, sanctified. All those things. But also, Jesus died for us so that the righteous requirement of the law, love God, love your neighbor, might be fulfilled in us. Like God loves his law so much. God desires his law to be kept so much that he sent Jesus to die so that we would be given new hearts that are able to, that desire to love God and love our neighbor. And Paul says that those who have been born again walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we have not only the desire with these new hearts, but we have the ability because the Spirit of God inside of us. Tenth, all human attempts at righteousness, however, apart from God, are doomed to failure. We need the righteousness of Jesus applied to us through faith, to be declared righteous before God. That's justification. That's a a once in a lifetime event. When we turn from our sins and trust in Christ, we are declared righteous. 
But we also, we need God to grow in righteousness for the rest of our lives. That's sanctification. And we need Jesus for both of those things. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David. Remember, he's been dead for 350 years. A righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which this ultimate David will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Now, what's amazing about this verse, there's about 75 amazing things about this verse, but one, Jeremiah is speaking about this soon-to-come David character, this future David that we know to be Jesus. First, notice that he's called the Lord, and that's God's name. So this future David is called the Lord, which is not something a human being would ever, ever have attributed to them. But also the Lord is our righteousness. What Jeremiah is saying is this future David is God who will serve as the righteousness of his own people. And again, I'm sure for Jeremiah and for people who heard that before Jesus, that was incredibly confusing. But for us, looking back through the lens of the cross, that name is one of the most precious names because truly Jesus, the Lord, he is our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. He gives it at the moment of salvation and he is transforming us to the power of his spirit more and more into the image of Jesus, the perfect picture of righteousness. Eleventh, repentance always involves turning away from ourselves and our sin, but towards God in faith and obedience. Right? If someone's a drug addict and they quit drugs to become addicted to working out, or they're addicted to social media and they get off social media and become addicted to chess, right? they're just turning from one sinful thing to another. I'm not trying to say that social media or chess are inherently sinful, but if we're looking to them, if, we're, if, we're, if they're serving as idols in our life, then they're sinful for us. So we have to not just turn away from one bad thing to another, but we must turn away from that bad thing to the Lord. That's repentance. It means to change, to turn around from the dead end that we're on and to go back to God. Twelfth, God's promise and provision of forgiveness of sins is possible only through the perfectly righteous life of Jesus and the substitutionary death of Jesus. It would be unrighteous for God to look the other way for our sin, for God to sweep it under the rug, to shrug his shoulders and say, hey, you guys are only human. No, we need someone to die for us, but that someone who dies has to be perfectly righteous themselves. And so we can only be forgiven and we can only be counted as righteous if we have a Savior who himself had no sin and then died in our place. And that's exactly what we have in Jesus. And that's exactly what we offer to people when we share the gospel. Thirteenth, ministry is not an occasion for seeking fame, but rather it requires sacrifice and may in fact involve suffering. Baruch is a scribe that Jeremiah hired. And it seems that Baruch was a godly man. He faithfully served Jeremiah. And in the midst of the destruction of Jerusalem and the, the, the scattering of the people of God from the promised land, we get Jeremiah chapter 45, which is very, very short, which if you've read Jeremiah, you'll know is very, very strange. It's an incredibly long book. And from the context, it seems as if Baruch is a little discouraged, maybe a bit disappointed. Maybe he thought that, wow, Jeremiah is a legitimate prophet. God speaks to him and I'm Jeremiah's right-hand man. So 
Jeremiah will become famous and I'll become famous. Like, we're not exactly sure, but it seems like Baruch's a little bit disappointed. And the word of God comes to Baruch and says, Do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. For behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord, but I will give you your life as a prize of war in all the places to which you may go. Baruch, you're going to ride this thing out with Jeremiah. It's going to get really, really bad. Many of your family and friends are going to die. You're going to be kicked out of the land that you've lived in your entire life. But you're going to live. And if you are seeking great things for yourself, seek them not. And as Jesus says to all of his followers in John 15, 20, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus says, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So if you feel called to ministry, it's not being a call to become famous or wealthy, but rather a call to take up your cross, to sacrifice, and it may be a call, in fact, to deep suffering. Fourteenth, God exercises just judgment over the nations, and he can be trusted to right every wrong in the final judgment. We see this most clearly in the book of Jeremiah with the denunciation of the nation of Babylon. God has used Babylon to judge his people And in one of those sovereign mysteries that we're never going to fully understand, God both uses Babylon to judge his people, to to discipline his people, and then also judges and destroys Babylon for their sinful actions that they carried out against Judah. And again, this will make our brain hurt if we think too much about it, but that should not make us doubt scripture, but rather affirm the fact that we're humans with small brains. But, But the point I'm making here, guys, is that God can be trusted And when people do wicked things and God doesn't immediately strike them dead, that does not mean that God has abandoned his post, that God is, he doesn't care or he didn't see or he doesn't have the ability to discipline them since they're not Christians, but rather he is waiting for the right time, not as we see it. Again, we're limited, so limited, but the right time is he knows it to be and he will right every wrong. No one gets away with anything. Every sin ever committed will be dealt with either We pray, we pray for our enemies that their sins will be dealt with at the cross of Christ, that they'll trust in him and Jesus will have borne the penalty for their sins or they will bear it in hell. But no one gets away with anything. So may we believe that for our own lives and flee from sin. And may we warn those who seem to think as if judgment is just a story, a bedtime story we tell kids to get them to be nice. That is not the case. Judgment is coming, and our only hope is to fly to Christ. So friends, the next time we come together, Lord willing, we're going to begin an examination of the book of Ezekiel. But for now, take up and read. God bless.